Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Frank Gore Jr., Southern Miss Golden Eagles, and you listen to Fun Belt Podcast. 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 It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of fun, Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we've got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. Just clearing my throat. Welcome back. Season three of Fun Belt Podcast. First podcast of the season. Right here, right now, you're listening to it with me, Shane Metlin from Daily News Record and Dustin Thibodeau from Warhawk Report. My name is Jeremy Harper. I am from HowRazor.com. We are back for a third season to give you every bit of Sunbelt news you could possibly want, all the analysis, all the, the, the penetrating insight, everything we know we compress into this podcast. Guys, welcome back. I hope you had a great Christmas, and I hope you had a great New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. It was a great everything. I mean, it, it was obviously so great for you that you now know <laughs> where Shane works, but you forget my name. <laughs> Wait, what did I call you? Dustin. Dustin, well, you know, Dustin is the guy who cuts my hair. So I have a real intimate relationship with Dustin. So if I call you Dustin, it's from a position of love and respect. I don't we were, we were also just talking about Dustin Kearns at App State, too. So That's it's true. on the brain. It's on the yeah, brain. Right? It's top of mind. So did, let me ask you this, Dusty, because I know that you're a big party guy. <clears throat> I, I know that you like to go down, you like to throw down, you like to wake up in other people's yards. Did you throw down this New Year's Eve? Not a true story. I was actually in bed by about 8.30. It was fantastic. <laughs> Didn't wake up the next day till like 10. It, it wow. Was, it was a fantastic New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Nice. You know what? That's, that's the ultimate dad thing to you. Shane, I know that you're out east where, you know, you're probably having some tuxedo elitist party with a bunch of real journalists is that how it happened i think i was at a basketball game on new year's eve <laughs> a basketball game with who <laughs> what was it? oh wait we had sunbelt action that night i forgot yes yeah it was in the yeah. afternoon i was home for new year's eve but uh i honestly don't remember what i was doing at midnight nothing too exciting I don't remember because you're a party. Yeah. <laughs> no. Dang, I, 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 believe, I mean, I had a beer, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, was in, I was in Venice, Venice, Italy, for New Year's Eve. Uh, had a great dinner. Had a lot of great Prosecco, you know. That's the Italian sort of champagne. Uh, you know, really had a good time. 
got to bed around midnight, you know, didn't do anything too wild. So, uh, you know, but I, I, uh, uh, I, I, I had a very unique New Year's Eve experience. I, I didn't get to watch too much basketball while I was away. I've heard some things. So I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. Do we have any other house cleaning to discuss before we start discussing Sunbelt basketball? Thibodeau, come on. Do we have any housekeeping items to, 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 to dust up? Just a reminder to everyone, follow us on Twitter, FunBeltPC. Okay. Email us, FunBeltPC at gmail.com. Probably the most penetrating Twitter account you could possibly follow when it comes to the Sun Belt. Am I right? I think so. I'm also, I'm, I am disappointed because I guess we haven't mentioned the, the Twitter account in a while on the podcast. We haven't gotten any of those uh, interesting DMs lately. Oh, you mean like uh, a DM that congratulates us on our penetrating insight and wisdom? Yeah, among, um, amongst other things. <laughs> All right. Well, we need to shill out the, what is it again? It's Fun Belt PC, right? That's the yeah. Twitter handle. That is correct. And that, you know, and I think all of us have access to that handle. So we're always adding something, right? Yeah, I don't have access to it. Oh my God. <laughs> Shane does not have access to the Twitter I don't think handle. He wants access, though, truthfully, because I think he wants to say, yeah, those guys. <laughs> you know, it's called plausible deniability, Shane. That's what you've got. Yeah. So when Dusty and I go to jail for something we've said on Twitter, you can be the one that said, hey, I didn't have access. So uh, I, I, I don't want me in with those miscreants. Yeah. We are protecting yeah. you, Shane. Jeremy, I appreciate it. Jeremy's that that sounds like a larger scenario. <laughs> All right. So like I said, I've been out of the country for a while. And in that time... The Sun Belt has been kind of getting it on, you know, sort of, sort of trading licks. And, and who would think, Dusty, that when I would come back from, from Italy, that the team amongst, amongst the guys, amongst the teams that's closest to us, the team that is having the most success in the Sun Belt right now is the Warhawks. Who would have believed that? I would. Me. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 curse yeah. of the chief is in full effect again, as we have spoken about, where the old Indian mascot that the Warhawks yeah. had is angry once again. Ooh. That I, I guess he was tired of losing. Somebody okay. desecrated his grave because it also wow. a game against Arkansas State, the other Absolutely. four Indians. Quite aggravated with that, but yes. Rattled off three straight wins. Best Sun uh-huh. Conference start since joining the Sun Belt in the 06 season. Now, might I remind you, Dusty, that heading into conference play, the Warhawks own the worst net, the NET, that any program in the Sun Belt. And they merely come out hot three and one. There is some, it might be a curse. It, it, I don't know what it is, but there's something going on. Tell us what it is. No, but don't, don't just be coy. You, Who's you, leading this? You talking about ULM and the low net. I cannot help uh-huh. that the voters of the net, the computer systems do not recognize 
the highly skilled teams of champion Christian and Dallas Christian. <laughs> and we have no legs, no arms, and we play basketball university. I can't help that those schools don't count like the rest of them. You know what? Duke wasn't willing to come to Fant Ewing Coliseum this year. So we had to find a gap, uh-huh. a stop gap in the schedule. If not, we were just not going to play that night. That's not what, my fault. That's not on me, Jeremy. What I'm getting from this, and this is very artfully said that what you're saying here, and I appreciate it, but you're not revealing to me any reason why the Warhawks are doing so well. You're not going to tell me that there's some magic player that's come out of the woodwork or that they, that, that coach Ribido or whatever his name is, Ribishow, Ribba, whatever, is, is like just getting the most out of his troops. You're just being coy. That's what's happening here. Uh, I would never do that. And his name is Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think the big thing transfer Tyreek, uh, lo, uh, lo, Locor, I think is how you say it. That's probably not, okay. but anyway, him coming in, he, I mean, he's had double digit scoring in just about all but two games of the year. And, and his play has really paced the Warhawks. In addition to that, Jamari, uh, Blackman. That dude cleans the glass and is getting double-digit scoring as well. How they go is is how the Warhawks have been. They've they've really been able to have the offensive poise to make the runs and been able to scare opponents defensively to keep them off the boards. All right, now that was the insight I was looking for. Thank you, Dusty. But just as possibly as shocking as ULM being atop the standings along with Georgia Southern and Troy and Southern Miss, some of those guys just as shocking as perhaps ULM, is maybe what's happened this week to James Madison. Shane Metlin, oh my God, what's going on with James Madison? I don't know for sure. I... (laughs) You know, just reading, reading your just reading your Twitter, I can tell that you feel a little befuddled, like you don't know what's going on. Like perhaps you have received the big chief curse. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think they've ever had a uh, super problematic uh, mascot that I'm aware of. But but you know maybe there's some <laughs> sort of curse. But yeah, I really I really thought that. JMU goes and wins their first two games on the road, including at Marshall, mm-hmm. which I think hadn't lost at home since Carter was president or something like that. Like, I don't remember the exact, exact <laughs> dates, but they, they've been playing well at home. I, I really thought, you know, when JMU does that, okay, they've got a leg up on the standings now because not very many teams are going to go to Marshall and win on the road. And then they come home where they've been one of the best teams in the country at home and lose, you know, two games that I think everybody really expected them to win against Texas state that had been struggling and app state that had been up and down. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you just really thought Jamie would play much better at home than they did. Well, you know, I think we, and we've seen this in Sunbelt Tibbs, you and I being uh, 
citizens of the Sun Belt for a lot longer than, than Shane. We, we, we've seen this to where, where teams come in and they're clearly a very talented team. And then there, there's something that happens when they come to these uh, other Sun Belt schools where th- the, the game plan kind of falls apart. And I, I think that happens a lot when you play Kearns' Appalachian State team. They play a style of defense that is just hard to crack. That you can't get any points on the inside. You're forced to shoot shots on the outside. They guard the perimeter really well. Dustin Kearns does just a great job at Appalachian State. I don't know if they'll ever be like a premier basketball school, but to me, Appalachian State's always going to be one of those schools you don't want to play. Now, Texas State, they've lost a lot of guys. They seem to be really struggling in the out-of-conference, but to me, they're always going to be pretty good. That ULM, though, is 3-1 and is pretty shocking to me, just as much as maybe seeing Southern Miss at three and one, even though they had that amazing out of conference, can we just assume, guys, that Southern Miss is for real, and that that thirteenth ranking that we tagged to them at the beginning, at the off season, at the at the at the beginning of the season, is just was just way off? Can we safely assume that maybe the Golden Eagles are for real? A lot to digest yeah. there. A, it's hard to play at Appalachian State, not only because of Kern's defense. But you're also 3,000 feet up in the air where there's no oxygen. It's much like when Denver was in the league. No one could ever win when they went to Denver. And Denver was great at home and terrible on the road. You're right. And then you talk about Texas State. They've played a really tough schedule. I'll say that. But they are missing Caleb Asbury more than they thought they were going to miss Caleb Asbury. Mm. That was a big miss. That's that was a big guy to lose. So, and, yeah. and and the the frustration he's not getting that many minutes at Oklahoma State where he's at. So you yeah. gotta wonder, was it really worth leaving where you were the man in San Marcos to be a guy on the bench at Oklahoma State? And then you talk about that. ULM was out somehow able to get a road win, and that's what kicked it off when they went to San Marcos to get that big road win. Yeah. So there's a lot going on right now, and, and it's pure craziness. Is the 13th uh, preseason ranking of Southern Miss fair? I think coming into the season it is. They're definitely no longer the number 13 team in the Sunbelt Conference, though. If I was going to be a little disingenuous, I would say that, like, I was telling everybody that Southern Miss was going to be better than that, which is somewhat true. But – you know, I was thinking more along the lines of seventh or eighth than, you know, uh, 13th, not that like they'd be looking like the best team in the country. I, I had this debate with a Southern Miss fan, even right before the season started that Austin Crowley, I was like, I don't think he's going to put up a ton of points. I think he'll be a f- facilitator for Felipe Haas and, you know, uh, Neftali Alvarez is another transfer who really hasn't played much this year, been hurt. I thought he was going to be probably their second best player. But Crowley has been really, really good. And, you know, I can't take too much credit for pumping up Southern Miss when I didn't give that guy as much credit for probably being, you know, a first-team all-sunbelt player right now. So here's another team that, that's puzzling me a little bit. You know, the Cajuns came out, I think, preseason favorites. Am I right? 
Tibbs wasn't the aren't the Cajuns the preseason favorite in the West? Yes. In the West or the whole thing? We don't have East and West, right? We just have. I they were the they, yeah. Louisiana was picked first at uh, media. Yeah. Day. So they enter the season. The first they, they they get that that loss to Texas, which is understandable. That's how they round up the uh, out of conference. That get this one point loss to Coastal Carolina, and then a four point loss to Old Dominion. Both teams not very good, and then they come away with. A big win over Southern Miss and a big win over Georgia State. Is Louisiana going to be like they were last year, Tibbs, where they should have been better than what they were, but they never could quite like dominate the way that they were projected to? Are we looking at the beginning of a Louisiana team that's going to sort of disappoint us again? I don't think so. I think that they – I don't know how well they'll do in the regular season because I, I haven't seen enough out of them to say, okay, they're, they're going to contend for the regular season title. But I think that they have everything lining up like they did last year to be the hot team once late February and March rolls around and you're in Pensacola, which in all honesty, that's all it really matters is if you're hot at that time. But – I don't think that they're they're really, like I said, the contenders for this year. Mm-hmm. Regular season. So you can break down the Sun Belt right now into two categories or three categories. I'm sorry, three and one teams, two and two teams, and one and three teams. There's no in between right now. There's no undefeated in conference. There's no team that's lost every game in conference right now. Of the one in three teams, Arkansas State, Georgia State, Coastal Carolina, and South Alabama, which one of those do you think has any chance of really making a run at, or at least causing some damage to the top? I would say South Alabama because I feel like they've really underperformed so far based on – the talent they have like yeah. i thought i was pretty high on them coming in they you know kevin samuel there's not really anybody else in the league who matches up with kevin samuel they've got a great shooter greg parham i don't know why they haven't won more games already and if they get it figured out i think they can like really really make a run if they get it figured out sooner rather than later metlin don't get caught up though in the South Alabama basketball vortex. It happened to Tibbs and I last year. Tibbs and I are still recovering. We're still in like, place to be. <laughs> we're still in an AA program for getting too high on South Alabama. Because we were big South Alabama guys. Were we not Tibbs last season at this time? Through and through. <laughs> we're like, surely these guys are gonna dominate. So, but what about Georgia State, though? The perennial uh, uh, Sun Belt contender for basketball. I mean, the Panthers have always been tough. They don't seem to be tough at all this year. What's going on with the Panthers? Does anybody have any insight on that? I think, I think Jonas Hayes needs a little more time to get his kind of guys in there. They just they don't really have any shooters, like from what I can see. They got some guys who can take it to the basket. They got some guys who play pretty tough defense. 
but they don't have much depth and they just don't have anybody who's going to, you know, turn the game around by making a couple threes. Like, I think, I think they made a good hire and I think they're going to get back to being an annual contender, but I think this year just wasn't enough time for him to really get a roster put together. Yeah. Out out of the one in three teams, the one I really am looking forward to making the most noise, Cliff Ellis and his coastal Carolina Chanticleers (laughs) with Mustafa. He he's, I mean, the dominating force, he's the reason that they've really kind of competed uh, in all the games that they've been in. They just haven't kind of put it all together yet. And, and, and I think that that's what it is. And, and, and they're close to having it. You know, and what's funny about that Coastal Carolina team, Tibbs, is during the offseason, it looked like everybody was leaving. It looked like, like the entire team was gone, like transferred out. So I kind of had this idea that maybe Cliff was retiring, that maybe he had told his team, listen, I'm not going to be here next year. But that wasn't the case at all. And Mustafa's is back. Yeah. Because so. remember, they went to the final four of a C-level tournament, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I love C-level tournaments. So they're the best. I don't believe you. And you know what? We have a guest coming up later on uh-huh. that is a real journalist that will give credence to the C-level tournaments. All right. Now, I like how I, – I, I'm not sure who you're discussing, but – I do like how you've described them as a real journalist, even though that gives us then would give us then two real journalists on this program, because Shane, as you know, is a real journalist. By day, by night, he wears a cape. (laughs) Shane, out of the new teams that have come in, JMU being one of them, who is impressing you most right now? Southern Miss right now. My answer might have been different a week ago, but right now I think Southern Miss is still the most consistent. And, um, you know, they're in first, they're tied for first, and they're, you know, leading the net rankings. They're not stuff like Ken Palm and some of the other metrics aren't as high on Southern Miss, but that those take into account preseason rankings to some degree, which, um, becomes less and less of a factor as the season goes on, but it still hurts Southern Miss relative to some of the other teams. Um, yeah. I mean, of the new teams, I think they're pretty clearly the one that's on top right now. All right, Chad, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, I, I don't want you to be the target of more online hatred, but of the three and one teams right now, which one's the fraud? Uh, you got Georgia Southern. You have Troy, you have ULM, and you have Southern Miss. How are we going to define fraud? Team that I think <laughs> is going to continue to stay where they're at. I, I mean, I'm sorry, Tibbs. I don't think ULM is going to continue to win at this pace. I don't think they're going to win, you know, 75% of their Sunbelt games. I just don't. Um, but I don't think Georgia Southern really is there either. And yeah, I'd have to go back and double check the schedules, but I think, you know, if we're going to call fraud on one of them, maybe Georgia Southern hasn't played quite as tough a uh, tough a schedule to get to three and one as ULM has. Yeah, I mean, ULM only had to go to Texas State, had to play Arkansas State, coming off of that, and you know as well as I do, Jeremy, ULM never beats Arkansas State and damn near no. anything. 
No, quite angry about that whole situation. But go on. And then hosted Georgia State and, and put it to them and, and, until the last eight minutes of the game, but, but really had a huge enough lead that they kind of coasted through that game. Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of inclined to, to believe, and maybe it's because I love Dusty Thibodeau so much. I, I kind of think ULM, like ULM was secretly good last season. Like, like nobody was talking about ULM, but they were really tough last season. They had some great guys on that team. I, I think ULM might be secretly good this year. They're 7-10 and 10 overall, which looks really gross. But they, they might be putting it all together for the Sun Belt. Now, I kind of agree with you, though, that uh, Shane, that maybe it's Georgia Southern. That's the fraud here. I don't think it's Troy because I think Scott Cross is just a really good coach. And he could probably take, you know, three barrels and two kindergarten kids and turn them into a winning basketball team. That's how much I respect Scott Cross. Uh, I, I, think, I think you guys are both right. Southern Miss is for real. I don't know how we were so wrong on them. <laughs> well, there should be an investigation. The FBI, the DOJ, the, the House of Representatives, they all need to open their own independent inquiries into why we totally misunderstood and misrepresented Southern Miss. I have a theory. Okay. And it goes for the whole West. There was sandbagging going on. Southern Miss did it for a whole year. And <laughs> ULM... And Texas State, they did it for the first month and a half of the season or whatever it was. And then they uh -huh. get the conference play and win. And they're like, well, yeah, they, it was a, it was a white man can't jump, uh, you know, you know <laughs> hustle they were running. So like, you mean play basketball? Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely, <laughs> probably 100% correct on that. Let me ask you this, Shane. Is JMU going to bounce back, or are they, or they kind of doing like they did in football, where they just sort of had a midseason bump in the road and then sort of recovered and came back strong? Is this, is this the bump in the road for JMU? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, there's, you know, and I'm probably leading the charge on it a little bit to overreacting to, you know, the kind of two, three game stretches that every team has over the course of a season. But I mean, it's just a matter for JMU of it was disappointing to see the games that they lost. It's not that they lost the games. It was when they lost them at home. Um, and, you know, really just kind of looking at that roster and the depths they have, you would think they'd be able to, that they're more built for the conference schedule than some other teams. And I think they're going to bounce back, but I think this week is going to tell us a lot about, you know, where they're at because it could quickly turn into two years in a row where a hot start went south basically after New Year's. Well, that's true. Now, you're going to get that South Alabama team that you said you think might still be sneaky good. And then that Georgia Southern team that you've implied might not be as good as the record is pointing out. So that will be, some pretty good, uh, a pretty good indication if JMU can bounce back. Meanwhile, meanwhile, ULM gets to play their hated rival, the Cajuns, and uh, Texas. Wait, wait, they're playing Texas State again already. How is that possible? 
I mean, everyone wants a piece of the Warhawks right now. <laughs> oh, wow. I did not realize that they would just stack that so close together. Maybe I need to look at these schedules more closely. That's going to be exciting, Dusty, these two games. Louisiana, Texas State. Wow, that will be a true test as to whether or not the Warhawks are legit. It should be a good one. I mean, and, and both of them are inside Fantu and Coliseum. Students will finally be back on campus. So the illustrious Ben Moore will not be able to troll that there were four people in the stands to see his <laughs> Panthers go down. Uh, do I think it will sell out? Definitely not. But, but uh, you know, December and, Jan- and early January basketball is always terrible because there's no one on campus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I was watching Arkansas State and Troy – the other day and it's at Troy and Troy's having a pretty good season and everybody likes their their the the head coach and Scott Cross and there's nobody there. I mean it was completely empty. There was nobody there to see that win over Arkansas State. And then I realized well of course nobody's there. It's it's Christmas break. You know and everybody's still you know with their families off campus. So yeah so I think right now this is when we're gonna we're about to see the real energy come back to Sunbelt basketball. And there had better be some fans showing up for the Warhawks because they're playing some of the best basketball that they played in a long time. So looking forward to that. Guys, do we have any other observations about Sunbelt basketball? You know, Tibbs, I know you follow the women a lot. Do you have like maybe some observations about the women? Is there anything that James Madison is not going to dominate, Shane? <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I'll go back to this summer when I talked to one of my favorite guys to talk to is Dan D'Antoni at Marshall. And he's talking about basketball. He's talking about men's basketball specifically, but he says, you know, if you were going to bet on a basketball game, look at the budgets of the teams and the team with the higher budget is going to win 90% of the time. Ooh. And I think that, you know, applies across the board and JMU has a higher budget they spend, you know, and they don't just spend it all in football. There's they spread it across their sports. And I think you're seeing that when they're having success in soccer and volleyball and now women's basketball and other things. I'm, you know, I know you're joking. I don't think they're going to dominate everything, but I think they're going to be competitive pretty much across the board, except for maybe baseball this year. And, and I say that, I mean, James Madison four and in conference, Troy, to me, uh, Chanda Rigby got her 250th career win this past week. They're sitting at three and one, and, and really it has not even felt like it was that close. Like it, it almost feels like they're a one and three team. <laughs> I, I, I still can't pick against her. I, I like the Trojans there, but James Madison is definitely a team on the women's side you got to look for. I'll tell you this, though, raise a banner. ULM, two conference wins this year. First one that they had won earlier this week. First conference win in two seasons. Raise a band. I'm proud to raise a You know who's taking off the banner of defeat from ULM? That would be my Arkansas State Red Wolves. Currently 0-4 in, in the women's basketball. We are now just until men and women combined, we have one win for the conference. 
So it's pretty, it's pretty sad days in Jonesboro. I mean, I am, you know what, Tibbs, I am so happy for your Warhawks, man. Congratulations, that's so great. Are the women missing Norchad O'Meara too? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I said, are the women missing Norchad O'Meara too? I think so. Who, by the way, is doing really well at Miami, having you know, doing his double double thing there at for the Miami Hurricane. Great. Happy for Norchad O'Meara taking his double-double away from Jonesboro and to Miami, where Miami certainly needed it. I mean, I mean, it's not like we didn't need it, right? <laughs> anyway, but to your point about JMU and women's basketball, from what I've seen, Tibbs, those guys look just dominating. Like every score is like 80 to 40. That's women's no. basketball. Women's basketball to me is always borderline. You're you're watching the benches to see if there's going to be a bench clearing brawl because it'll get out of hand where you're tripling up the other team's score. Yeah, They're- yeah, and you're surprised that parents are coming down from the stands to start getting into fist fights. <laughs> the, there, yeah, there's something to that. I mean, because you know sometimes you can hear everything the parents and the coaches and everybody has to say too, because like you know, there's nobody else there in some cases. Like my, my kids, for instance, they've been on some really bad sports teams. And as a parent, you have to sit through it. Right. And the worst being a parent is listening to the other parents from the other school or the other team, how jovial they are and what a good mood they are. And they're such a good mood, they even stop paying attention to the game because the game is so out of hand. They'll start talking about an episode of CSI they watched last week or like a, like a pie they're baking tomorrow. And it just makes you furious. And that's what JMU is probably doing now to these other teams, right? Just making everybody around them furious because they're just like, oh, here's another easy win for us. Well, I mean, they've been winning close games. They've won what is it, you know, 11 in a row now, right? I don't know how many it is at this point. No, it, but, it's just 11. Don't worry. It's not 12. But, but they've been, but they've been a lot of close games. They've been, you know, nine, seven-point wins at times. Uh, but, you know, it's – JMU has the fourth winningest women's basketball program in the country. They were down for two years before joining the Sun Belt, but – this isn't a big surprise on the women's basketball side of things when it comes to JMU. So Shane, Jeremy, we're yep. experts, air yeah. quotes, on <laughs> Sunbelt Conference basketball. I think. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, if anybody, if anybody were to to look for an expert on Sunbelt basketball, they'd look first to the Sunbelt podcast, right? I think so. I mean, alphabetically, because there's no one else above us. I mean, Shane puts a random A before his name trying to bump himself up in the search, but I don't think it's really worked. Uh, We do our best. (laughs) But, yeah, we're experts. Sure, why not? What if I I, told you? After last night, I don't think the App State fans are going to call me an expert on Sunbelt basketball. There was a little bit of a tip with them there, but um, we could probably get into that here in a little bit. Yeah, we should get into that because that was a bit of a kerfuffle. I was watching that at a distance, a little bit amused. I should have come to the, your defense, Shane, but I wanted to see if you could 
hold your own and you did all right. The the sad thing is I love App State's fan base, but like now I've gotten into it with them, like in both the football and basketball JMU matchups. And uh, I think it's just a misunderstanding. <laughs> well, you, you know what? They're, you know what? I, I'm sure they do it out of love, Shane, and not out of pure seething hatred, as mm. it would appear so on the Twitter. I'm going to go to him and say, and say, no, he hates Mountaineers. He says it off air. <laughs> um, he is not a Brady McBride fan. He, he doesn't what? like Sean Clark, Dustin oh Kern, whoever their baseball coach is, their softball coach, even their women's lacrosse team. <gasps> How about the wrestling team too? Just throw that in there too. I mean, he's got a, he doesn't have the red X over. He has a picture of his elbow, like superimposed over that guy's face. We're, we're making anyway. up teams for me to hate at this point. We, we digress as always. Yes, yeah, joining us is a real media expert on Sunbelt Conference basketball as well as mid major. He writes for SB Nation's Mid Major Madness, and that is. Riley Frain, who joins us to talk good old fun about basketball. Welcome in there, Riley. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. I'm, I'm excited to be here and you know, talk some Sunbelt with everyone. So I know you're up north with Shane. You're, you're, you're in the Big Apple, but, but you still reach down and cover the Sunbelt. This year, there was really a lot of emphasis to try to get those net ratings up for the Sunbelt. Mm-hmm. So far, I think we're about a fourth of the way through the season Outside looking in, what what do you think so far of those net ratings for the Sunbelt Conference? Um, I mean, I think it's been a pretty exciting year. I think you got a lot of, uh, you know, interesting programs that are part of the conference who are really looking to, you know, build themselves into exciting mid-major programs, uh, you know, behind coaches like, I think, guys like Mark Byington and, of course, uh, you know, Dan D'Antoni. Uh, you, you've really got, uh, you, you know, schools and universities that are looking to build mid-major programs and not just be like one-off teams that, you know, maybe making a, a tournament appearance or, you know, win the conference regular season. And occasionally I think that's been a big push over the past couple of years. And I think, you know, even welcoming a program uh, like Old Dominion into the conference that's starting to find some success. I think you're definitely starting to see a big push to get those rankings up for sure. You know, you mentioned some of those names and I do feel like coaching in the conference is pretty good, but I also feel like right now, if you maybe surveyed, fans of all Sunbelt schools, a lot of them wouldn't be really high on their coaches. Do you think that's fair at this point? Uh, I think it is, especially at this point in the season, we've seen kind of a lot of up and down from teams that were maybe, you know, projected to finish high and are finishing low. And, and maybe some of the programs who, you know, were kind of projected to finish lower have, you know, found a little bit of success early into conference play. But I think with some of the better coaches, uh, uh, you know, we've seen at the programs, I know I mentioned two guys before, but even like Terrence Johnson, who won, uh, you know, coach of the year with uh, Texas State last year. Uh, ex- excuse me. Yes, sorry. Terrence Johnson, who won uh, Sunbelt Coach of the Year last year. I-, I think, you know, as conference play continues to go on, you'll see some of those programs start to balance out. And, you know, the guys with good coaching, you'll see the, you know, them start to rise to the top of the pack in the conference. Is it kind of a surprise you think that Southern Miss came into the year, picked dead last, even below ULM, you know, my alma mater, my school, that, that has not seen basketball success here recently? They're hot. I mean, 14 and mm-hmm. three, three and one in conference action. Is it a surprise that they've kind of come in and, and shot to the top like they have? And do you think part of that is also that a lot of the teams that they face so far, excluding ULM that they did just pay, uh, play this past weekend, they just haven't really seen them. So they don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously with Southern Miss, you've got a lot of transfer talent there between Austin Crowley and, uh, you know, Felipe Haas, who have, you know, found a lot of success that I don't think, you know, people coming into the season thought they would, you know, necessarily be as good as they've been. Uh, and so they've definitely made for like, you know, an interesting kind of program to look at heading here into conference play 14 and, and three uh, overall. And then I think three and one in conference play. And I, they were picked preseason 13th, I believe. So uh, they've definitely been interesting. And, you know, I don't think between all the transfers, on, you know, on the Southern Miss program there, I don't think, you know, as you pointed out there, Dusty, people really know what to expect coming into conference play. And I think that's made it tough, but obviously they've just kind of found a lot of success and I think are just playing, you know, well as a team, despite kind of what the, the you know, the notion was on them coming into, con- you know, coming into the season rather. So I have a question regarding mid-major basketball in general. Mm-hmm. And, and, and something that I've been like, not necessarily arguing with fans, but having a discussion about, you, you had mentioned off the air, you had talked about, I cover some power five programs is there a such thing as group of five basketball i'm sorry group of five basketball yes the the group of five like mountain west cusa the american mm-hmm. conference does anybody look at those and go oh that's group of five basketball or is that just considered mid-major basketball so i think generally it's still considered mid-major basketball but i think kind of at mid-major madness I think we tend to look at it as in like there's different tiers of mid-major basketball whereas you know maybe the Mountain West schools like the Atlantic 10 I think kind of trend maybe more towards the top Uh, and then obviously you have some of like the smaller mid-major conferences who attend toward the bottom but overall you know we just look to to cover the success of all you know these mid-major conferences I think they all offer a lot of exciting basketball you know you look at the Sun Belt in particular you never really know what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, there's always a lot of surprising programs and a lot of exciting programs that come out of some of these conferences. And I think so it's all really exciting basketball. It's all really entertaining to watch. Now, can a a mid-major sort of play and popularize its way out of becoming a mid-major? Like <laughs> Gonzaga, for instance. Yeah. Gonzaga, so like- we used to consider kind of a mid-major team. Now they're always in the final four. Yeah, we like to joke that Gonzaga is not a mid-major despite their conference. I think he definitely can. We don't really provide a lot of, you know, coverage to some of those bigger, like, mid-major programs. Um, But we still, you know, still them being in the West Coast Conference, we still, you know, kind of like to see their success. And they still make it into, like, our mid-major rankings for the most part. Um, But I I think we just, you know, we try to focus our coverage more so on the interesting stories and, and, you know, the lesser known stories within mid-major basketball, I would say. Sunbelt's usually a one-bid league. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. You, you have a good week down in Pensacola. You get to go to the dance. You probably get <laughs> blown out by Duke, North Carolina. Maybe you, you, you somehow squeak out that 14 seed and, and you upset the number three. What do you think it takes for the Sunbelt and other mid-majors to really get that second, maybe even third bid? Do you think it'll require – like the proposal that was recently thrown out there that we just have to expand the tournament? Um, I personally think expansion could be exciting. Um, I mean, you know, just in general, a, a, ch- a chance to have more mid-major teams in there, even if Power 5 programs will primarily fill those spots, you would have to imagine. Um, and I think, obviously, it could definitely help a conference like the Sun Belt kind of expand and potentially get another program in there. But I think the goal is kind of what the Sun Belt has been making a push to do and getting those net rankings up is to try and build programs who are, you know, finding consistent success year over year. 
And that's kind of how you're going to eventually work your way and expand your conference into getting, you know, potentially multiple bids into the NCAA tournament. Um, I feel like a good example, I mean, obviously the A-10's been uh, struggling a little bit this year for those who have been keeping up. But, you know, over the past couple of years, they've built programs who have seen, you know, consecutive bids into the NCAA tournament, despite maybe not winning the conference out. And so I think the goal is to try and build programs that are finding consistent success. And I think, you know, the Sun Belt is at least trying to trend in that direction. Do you think part of that also is that you need to get rid of these non-D1 games? I mean, yeah, it's it's great when you can set school records playing champion Christian and, and you beat them 200 to four. But is, is, is that really hurting way more than it's actually helping? I, I think it probably is hurting a little bit. I mean, you look at, te- I think it was Texas State this year. Didn't they lose to Division Three Mary Harden-Baylor, I believe, and they were picked preseason second in the conference? Saint so Mary's. it definitely looks... Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So it looked, it looked really, uh, you know, it looks really bad on the resume just overall, especially when that's supposed to be like one of your top programs heading into the year with, you know, your, your coach of the year from the previous season. Uh, and so I definitely think, especially when, you know, when you're losing them, it, it's going to look bad, but overall, I, I, you know, I think the goal was to try and build as tough a schedule as you can, uh, you know, to try and strengthen your resume, you know, uh, to potentially get a bid into the NCAA tournament. And so I think, you know, doing away with a lot of those D2 and D3 games, you know, I'd say midway in the season, I think they could provide, you know, some good warm up games as maybe preseason or early, even early in, into the non-conference. But overall, I don't think they, you know, provide much of a benefit. Yeah, I guess uh, you, we can talk a little bit about, you know, um, the recent Sunbelt games. I covered, you know, App mm-hmm. State and JMU last night. Um, I caused a little bit, I guess, of a uh, of a, of a um, disagreement with the App State fans because I said at one point I was talking about Jamie's depth mm-hmm. and how they should have been playing much better. I said they had ten guys who could crack the starting lineup at um, App State. So I'll, I'll ask you to defend me because I know you know some of you guys have been paying attention to the depth they have and they obviously did play well this week, but. Am I completely off base in throwing that out there when you just look at the number of players they have? I don't think so. I mean, you look at JMU, especially at the guard position, they have a ton of depth. Obviously, that's kind of like the system that Mark Bynton looks to run. Uh, But I think you even look at guys like Alonzo Sewell and Ofram who, you know, are doing what they need to do at the forward position. And like I said, behind good coaching, I think a team like JMU will kind of even out throughout conference play. Um, but I think App State, you know, tends to be a little bit mid-table, if you will. Um, I, I definitely think when you look at the guards, you could get – I think a handful of them could squeeze their way into that App State rotation. I mean, obviously, Tyree Boykin's pretty good. Gregory, I think, was mm-hmm. a preseason second-team all-conference pick. Um, so it would be tough, but I think maybe I would take some of JMU's veteran guys, and I think they could probably fight for a spot in that App State roster. So I would say I'd, I could probably defend you there a little bit, Shane. Yeah. And it was it was not to say that all ten guys are better than everyone on App State's roster. Yeah, absolutely. Say that you know they could probably all make the you know starting five if in an, on an individual basis if one were to mm-hmm. transfer in. Not to say that you know they're you know better than a CJ Huntley necessarily, but yeah. you know maybe one of those guys would be playing the four alongside him. Uh huh. And I think even going back to JMU, I, I know I mentioned it briefly just a second ago, but I think outside of Terrence Edwards, there's just a lot of like veteran leadership on that roster. And, you know, I think that could do a lot for an NCAA, you know, uh, Division One locker room. So I, I think, you know, squeezing them into a rotation, you know, into the starting rotation for an App State program that's, you know, maybe not quite as experienced could benefit a little bit. 
Yes. And I certainly meant it as a compliment to Dustin Kearns for coming in with a great game plan that kind of negated the depth and uh, the speed and everything that JMU had uh, in that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, what was it, a nine-point win? So it was still, you know, obviously a very good showing from App State. So you can't complain too much about it overall. Yeah. Well, and then App State, too, they play really tough at home. They have a really raucous home crowd. I don't know if it was against Jam. Yeah, I know it's it's Christmas time and they don't have all their people there. But Matt, App State's a hard place to play in basketball, and Kearns has done a really good job of turning that program around. So, yeah, Shane, you're right to give them a lot of credit because uh, they've done a really good job there at, uh, at, uh, at uh, Appalachian State. So we talked in NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's great to go to the dance. You get the, you get the big paycheck. You get the notoriety and all that. I love the sea level tournaments. What is your opinion <laughs> of, of those sea level tournaments? The CIT, the CBIs. He uh, loves the sea level tournaments. Yeah, I love them. I love getting to see all the mid major programs that show up, and you know, often find a lot of success in some of those smaller tournaments. They're always exciting for the most part. I think a lot of guys who don't get to shine maybe during the regular season definitely get like a little bit you know, a little bit of the media spotlight, a little bit of a chance to showcase that they can do. It's always, those are always exciting. And it's always very unique games. And by that, I remember Mm -hmm. when uh, ULM went through their big CBI run, they played Vermont. When are they ever going to play the Catamounts again? Yeah, yeah. And Vermont's an interesting program. So I think you get a lot of clashes of like, you know, exciting coaching, exciting playing and exciting programs. And, you know, especially like programs coming out of the Sun Belt, it gives them, you know, a chance to keep, going after the, the season's over. And like you said, you know, play some interesting teams, hopefully. And not to mention ULM made Loyola of Chicago what they were because we gave them the CBI tournament the year before they went on their final four run. That's right. I actually do recall that. Um, so see, great things come from the C-level tournament. <laughs> they did a lot of exciting play to show for in the, some of those tournaments, I always feel like. Can never complain. He's just jealous because Arkansas State has never played in a C level. <laughs> no, we've played in C levels. Just you know, I, I don't have that fondness that you have. I, I I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where it springs from. I, I I'm very proud of. I'm very I'm very happy for you though for for enjoying those tournaments so much. <laughs> a ten hour bus trip to Macon, Georgia, to play Mercer and get the win. What more could you want, Jeremy? I don't I, nothing. I'm going <laughs> to send the team to beat Mercer. <laughs> okay, great. All right, you've changed my mind. I cannot wait for the CBI. I am on <laughs> my way. I hope y'all bust to Idaho. <laughs> well, Riley, we thank you so much for joining us in all of our whatever this show has become in <laughs> season three. Looking forward to to catching up with you maybe around the time that we're uh, all headed to Pensacola for the Sunbelt Conference tournament. Hell of course, yeah. that would be great, guys. So tell everybody also how they can uh, find your work and, and how they can follow you on the Twitter sphere. Yeah, of course. You can always check check everything out on Mid Major Madness. Of course, uh, me and all the great work that some of my coworkers are doing. But uh, you can just come check out whatever I'm doing over at uh, on Twitter at uh, just Riley Frain, R I L E Y F R A I N. Enough with basketball, guys. We know the big sport is always football. Yeah. And, and, and we didn't get a chance to really recap the bowl games that closed out the 2022 season. 
it started off with a huge bang going three and oh, and then yeah, with those, a whimper. Those are good times. Hey, let's just stop there. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> other, other than everyone thought we were kind of crazy for not picking Coastal over East Carolina. And we were like, no, there's too much going on at Coastal. It's all Pirates. And, and it was definitely all Pirates. As Grayson McCall left the game hurt, was in the transfer portal at the time, but still going to play that game. He has since decided that he still pisses Till and is coming back to Conway. <laughs> oh, you know, the good news for that is that the Sun Belt retains one of its more marketable players. Right? Can we make him four-time player of the year already? We might as well just hand him the trophy. The bad news is, if you're not a Coastal Carolina fan, you got to contend with Grayson McCall some more. So, I was kind of happy. I was relieved to have him out of my life. You know, now he's back. What are we gonna do? We gotta bear. We gotta bear the slings and arrows of his big-time touchdown passes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what else can you say? Looking at the bowl games, though, really that Coastal Carolina game was the only game that just got out of hand, and, and, and you knew it was not going to be a win. Even I think the South Alabama game in the New Orleans Bowl, they were okay in there. I mean, I, I didn't feel overly confident going in that they were going to get the win, but I don't feel like they just got absolutely embarrassed and manhandled. I think the one that hurt the most, though, was that Georgia Southern game in Montgomery, Alabama, the Camellia Bowl, just unable to quite get over the hump to get that game. <laughs> I, I was hoping Shane was going to jump in because right. I, had, I didn't get to see any of the games. Shane, you watch those games, right? Uh, here and there. Um, yeah, I mean, I on our last episode, yes, on our season finale, I had yes. my theory about how you should view bowl season, and clearly, Troy beating UTSA and games like that clearly show the Sun Belt superiority, and the four-game losing streak in the bowl games really just showed those teams had moved on from the season. They didn't care. You know, Grayson McCall takes himself out of the game. It doesn't matter. That's how you got to look at the bowl seasons. If you win, it proves something. If you lose, it was because it didn't matter to you. It was just an exhibition. And well, yeah, all right. here's, here's something. I, I, I understand what you're say, saying, that, Shane, because it, it's I understand it because it's true. That's it's the way you enjoy bowl season. It's no totally true. But I tell you one thing that that hurts the Sun Belt in a way is that the Sun Belt has been sort of bragging about the offseason dominance for about two years now. Mm-hmm. Oh, nobody beats the Sun Belt when it comes to bowl games. Now we don't get to say that anymore. Are we going to be able to recover messaging wise from these defeats? Yeah, I mean, we kicked Houston out of the G5. They're now going Big 12. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, if you're the PR person in charge of spinning it, you say, hey, look at what Troy did. They beat that really good UTSA team. They were the Sun Belt champions, and they proved it in the bowl season. And they could have been Tulane. They could have beaten USC. Like, 
put us in there next year and show us what, let us show what the Sunbelt can do because, you know, we saw what Tulane did against the Sunbelt team. If, I mean, if, I'm, if I'm trying to spin it, that's what I'm focusing more on is probably really putting a lot of emphasis on what our champion did and what they could have done if given a chance. That's true. I, I, I think that if we were going to lose a bunch of bowl games, winning the one against uh, UTSA probably makes up for all that, right? <laughs> the battle of the top 25 teams with Troy coming out on top. That, that was probably worth more than the, than the other losses were combined, right? I just wish that wasn't the coming out of the gate bowl. But, yes, I do agree with you. Yeah, it would, would be, be much nicer if that was the last taste that the Sun Belt delivered instead of the big thrashing from East Carolina against Coastal Carolina, who I wonder, guys, have we seen sort of the heyday of Coastal? You know, by, you know they, they, they fell apart at the end of the season after – you know, kind of staying, remaining in the spotlight in a lot of ways. Now that the, the, the celebrated coach, Jamie Chadwell, is gone, they've got new administration come in. I can't even remember the name of the new head coach. I got to do my homework, I guess. Tim Beck. Well, who? Who? Tim Beck. Okay, Tim Beck. I should be able to remember that. Tim Beck, he's got his new crew in there. Grayson McCall's back. That's great. But it has the sort of flashed in the pan Chanticleers. Is it, is it done? Tibbs, Tibbs, is it done for the Chanticleers? Is it time to move on to the JMUs and, and Appalachian States and, and Georgia Southerns? Have they now kind of moved in on, on, on the space that was owned uh, in, a, in a sort of celebrated but brief way by the Chanticleers? Depends on what you consider done. I, I think that there's still a six or seven win team. Okay. And and, and by all accounts, uh, both of us, Jeremy, I think we would say we're back at being a six <laughs> or seven win team. I would so love that. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think they're going over if, if, if that's what you mean. Even without McCall, I think that they're, they're still anywhere from a five to seven win team, period. Right. Because I wonder if maybe they're on a sort of Georgia Southern trajectory where, you know, they hit that wall and they spent a couple years just really not playing very good football. But I don't know. You know, it's it's just, you know, like we said, you know, Coastal Carolina is a very small school. Uh, may, I don't know what kind of financial resources they have. Uh, maybe Maybe this was just some good luck that they had. They had Chadwell with great leadership. Now it's gone. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if 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 they're a player or not anymore. But I guess we'll see. I guess we'll they've, see. They've got Hooters money to <laughs> make up for like not being a big a huge school. So I mean I think that helps. Um, yeah, I don't think they're totally going away. I do find it interesting that you called that. Jeremy, of all people, called that the Georgia Southern trajectory. When that, I think that could apply to Arkansas State a little bit to be you know, oh, up there on top of the league, and then and then having that that down period. Uh, well, the reason why I said Georgia Southern is because they have 
gone down, but now they're coming back up. Uh, okay. I don't know if Arkansas State's ever coming back. <laughs> they will. <laughs> so we'll just have to we'll just have to see if Arkansas State can can achieve the same level of up and down trajectory as Georgia Southern has achieved. But we'll see. Guys, we're lining up also to be able to have a couple more Sunbelt players in the NFL as Michael Jefferson and Johnny Lumpkin of Louisiana Lafayette. They're headed to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. Does that really matter to you? you? You think that we are able to get guys in the combine, or do you think it's just just draft me and, and, and show me what you can do on Sundays? Uh, are you saying? Are you asking? Is it important that the Sun Belt get people into the combine? Yes, I think absolutely. I think when you don't have uh, a Sun Belt represented in the like, for instance, if you don't have them represented in the Senior Bowl, the Reese's Pieces Senior Bowl, and if you don't have them represented in the Combine, I think, I think actually recruits notice that. And they go, well, I, I, can't, I can't go any further if I get into the, go into the Sun Belt. I can't take that next step that I want to take. So when you see, when you see uh, uh, Sun Belt programs – uh, get into the combine and you see those little news clips on ESPN where, you know, somebody lifted a bunch of weights or somebody was super fast in the cone drill and it happened to be from somebody from the Sun Belt. I think that's just, that's just more good news for the Sun Belt. So I, I, I hope I have, we see, we haven't seen the full invitation list yet for the combine, right? I have not seen that. I don't think, I don't think that's out yet, but I, I always look to see how many we get. And I, I certainly look at the NFL draft that's coming up pretty soon in April, right? And, and, and see and, and use that as a measuring stick for success. Shane, do you think that draft, getting draftees in the NFL is a measuring stick for the conference or is it more of a, uh, uh, of a sort of a luxury piece that we don't really need? It, it is. I mean, you want to recruit guys who – think they can play in the NFL someday and they want to go where they think they can get to the NFL. And the Sunbelt has a fairly good track record of that. Um, you know, I've never quite understood how they decide who goes to the combine, who doesn't. It's always seemed like there's guys who may, would have made sense to get an invite and they don't. There's guys that go when they know they're not even going to really participate in anything. Um, so I don't know exactly how it works, but I'm with you that it is – a thing that, yeah, if you're Louisiana, you're going to be pointing to that. Hey, come here because you're going to get invited to the combine if you play well, and you're going to have a chance to get drafted. And, you know, other teams maybe focus a little bit more on their own pro days, which are going to be coming up and those will be interesting to see. And it is, it's, I don't even end up following the NFL that much myself just because like by the time I get done with things on Saturday, kind of just want to take <laughs> Sunday off. But yeah. like you know, but it's huge. It, it's a big deal to be able to say our school, our conference is a pathway to the NFL if you work hard enough. You know, and I always kind of thought too that if you get invited to the combine, that increases your chances of getting your name called on during the NFL draft much more than it would if you didn't make it to the combine. Now I've seen Sunbelt guys go to the combine and then not get 
not get drafted. I've seen that happen, but it seems like yeah. the percentage is pretty high that if the NFL looks at you and say you're worthy of a, a combine invite, then you're probably on the radar for a lot of teams. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, if you, yeah, getting invited to the combine is almost like half the battle. You're going to be at the very <laughs> least invited to a camp somewhere. If you've already made it that far. Now, Tibbs, you know, you're on the recruiting end a lot uh, from high school to, to, um, to college. Do, do you see the combine as something that, that, that is important to, for the Sun Belt to be represented in? Yeah, without a doubt. It, it is important, just like it is, you know, any college uh, that, that's out recruiting is going to also emphasize how many guys that they have that were picked up on camp tryouts or their own practice squads, just whatever it takes to, to show these kids coming out of high school, junior college, whatever, that you come here and you'll have the chance. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what, at the end of the day, most kids just want is that chance. So on that note, it is the first edition for the 2023 version of Bloods, Promos, and Parting Shots. Shane, please lay it on us. Parting Shot, I'm going to make peace with fans. <laughs> I, know, I never meant for it to get this way. I think you got some good basketball players. We disagreed on a call in football, but I'm not even a JMU fan. I don't care who wins against JMU and App State. I've been blessed to see some very entertaining games between those schools already in this new rivalry. Let's just all get along. <laughs> well said. Well done. I hope that they accept the olive branch, Shane. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I have a part. I have like a parting story to tell. And this is where you guys were like, man, let me hear it. Ooh, ah. Uh. <laughs> All right, so I'm in Venice, right? It's my last day in Venice. And uh, I, I, I've been really wanting to go to this 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 place, this bar, Harry's Bar, which uh, had been frequented by a lot of like uh, celebrity writers over the years, guys like, uh, like Hemingway and... Uh, and, uh, and people like Frank Lloyd Wright, for instance, and Truman Capote, and Catherine Hepburn. It's this 90-year-old bar that's right there on the water. So the last day we were there, you know, my, my kids had their own agendas. My wife had an agenda she wanted to do. So I was kind of left by myself. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to go to this bar. So uh, you, you, what you do when you're in Venice you see this, everybody's kind of in the same path. No one knows where to go. So you, you take your phone and you use Google Maps. And it's almost like a geocaching. You ever geocache? Some people do it, it, but I've never done it. Uh, it feels like you're geocaching. You're, you're looking for a point and, and stuff. So, but you find, I finally find the place. It's this tiny bar. It's got you know the small door to go through. You get into it. And it's a, it's a, it's a bar that's fairly bigger than a living room, right? It's kind of, there's like a four stool bar and then there's a, yeah, a couple tables and people are sitting around having their drinks. It's really easy to sort of imagine, you know, being back in the 1940s and hanging out with like Joe DiMaggio and having a drink here. So I, I order a Manhattan, right? 
and I drink the Manhattan, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that I've, I've, I've really imprinted myself on this, on this legendary place, right? Like I'm, I'm one of the guys, you know. I, I may not be famous like Frank Lloyd Wright, but I'm Fun Belt podcast guy, so I'm like part of the legend of Harry's Bar. And so then I order another drink, and this time it's something called a Bellini, which is a drink that they invented in this bar. So I have the drink, and you know, I, I, I down that. And then it's, so after the two drinks, I'm like, okay, I think I've had enough. I'm gonna go back to the hotel, we're gonna have dinner, it's gonna be great. I slide off my bar stool, and my foot had fallen completely asleep. It was dead. It was like coma. Like, like, it was almost like it wasn't even there. I kind of staggered. And the bartender's like, oh my God, sir, are you okay? I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, I served this guy two drinks and he's hammered. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I just, I just, my foot is falling asleep. So I try to take another step to show that I'm fine, but the foot is still asleep. And my foot just crumbles beneath my ankle and I sprain the top of my foot. Like the searing pain comes through my leg, through the deadness of the leg. I'm like, ah! Like, I put out this, this scream. And so they just think now I'm just hammered. And they, like, lead me to, like, a bench to where they think I'm, like, going to, I don't know, sleep it off or something. And then, uh, finally the foot kind of comes back alive. But I've got this, you know, cramp, this, this sprain in my foot. So I just end up sort of shuffling out of Harry's bar as in an inglorious manner that I just hadn't anticipated doing. I was kind of hoping that somehow I would I would be part of the legend of Harry's Bar, but all I did was add to the shame. And that's my story about being in Venice. So that's what you get. We're so proud of you for wearing your Fun Belt podcast uh, t-shirt <laughs> during all that. I should have I should have screamed as I hobbled off. Listen to the Sun Fun Down podcast. I'm on the show. That's all I got. A couple notes that I have. Emo Essen, a guard from Old Dominion, recently collapsed this past weekend a game at Ooh. Georgia Southern. Thoughts and prayers for him. I know everyone's focused on the guy from the Buffalo Bills, but uh, it, it happens in our league as well. Marshall. Finally has a head coach, a guy, though, that has not coached in two years. Greg Bills was originally at Ohio State, relieved of duties in May of 2022 before landing at Akron in July and is now leading your Marshall Thundering Herd. Awesome. Good work. So that's a wrap of season three, episode one. Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Jeremy Harper of HowlRazor.com, and Shane Metlin of the Daily News Record. Looking forward to Season 3, guys, and as we get into baseball, softball, and basketball, of course, down the stretch, and always football. So until next week, thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.